you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Well, hello, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am your host, Oliver Banks, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joining you today. Last time on the Retail Transformation Show, we were joined by Ian Shepherd. Have you listened to that one? Did you enjoy it? I hope you did. I found it fascinating and brilliant. So if you've not checked that one out, I do highly recommend you go and listen to that one right now. That's episode 45 of the Retail Transformation Show on your favorite podcast player or at obandco.uk slash 45. So in today's episode, we're once again picking up with Ian and we're going into part two. So Reinventing Retail, the book, is split into two parts. The first part, as you heard last time, or hopefully have heard last time, was all about understanding the new normal and what that means and what these six rules are that define how the world really works. And hint, it's more complicated than just having a website and, you know, doing e-commerce and stuff like that, right? So part two of the book is all about making change. And I love this. I'm really passionate about really delivering change. Talking about it's fun, but if nothing happens, it's all a waste of energy. I hope you will agree. But in the very same breath, just saying it again is very easy. Doing the hard graft of transformation is tough. It's what I do enjoy. You know, I, let, I like the, the achievement and the satisfaction of making it happen at the end of the day. But the journey is tough. It's hard work. It's hard graft. So we're diving into all of that today. Ian's got a ton of experience of working in retailers. He knows what it's like to work on big transformation projects, to deliver big transformation projects. You know, looking back at his CV, he's got a number of very senior roles in big retailer and consumer facing businesses. You know, he was managing director at Sky Interactive, consumer director at Vodafone, chief operating officer at Odeon Cinemas and CEO of the game group. So he has been there. He has been in your position. And what he's sharing today are his learnings. And I should also point out that if you enjoy this and you want to go much deeper, then you must check out his brilliant book, Reinventing Retail, The New Rules That Drive Sales and Grow Profits. And that explores those six rules from the previous episode, as well as all of this piece about how do you actually make a change happen? How do you go about it? How do you understand and have difficult conversations? How do you build out plans and so on? Show notes from today are available over at obandco.uk slash 46. Enjoy part two of my conversation with Ian Shepherd. Here we go. So this week on the Retail Transformation Show, we're once again joined by Ian Shepherd. We, of course, had Ian on the show last week talking all about the six rules that he has defined in his new book, his fantastic new book, Reinventing Retail. 
Ian, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's great to be back. Thanks, Oliver. Now, last week, we dived into part one, which is, as I say, all about the rules. But what I really like about your book is that you very clearly define it into two parts, which is kind of convenient with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And the second part is really all about bringing it together and making it happen. And it's all about really driving change, driving transformation, which is so critical. So we've been through the six rules. We've identified a number of different ways that the new normal, our new continually evolving digitally enabled lives are changing. But I have to ask you, Ian, where do you think is the biggest challenge that retailers face? What's the biggest barrier to really making transformation happen? I think that, firstly, absolutely echo what you've just said in the introduction to this episode. It was very important to me in writing the book that having done the first half, which is a lot of, you know, I hope, kind of interesting and relevant things that retailers can think about in creating their change program, it was really important halfway through the book to then switch gear and say, uh, that's all very well, but let's talk about why it happens. And why is it that so many great retail businesses have effectively died rather than changed? And so really for, you know, the retail leaders listening to this and, and reading the book to kind of, you know, just get under the skin of how difficult it is to make this kind of reinventive, you know, transformative change happen in a business and, 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 and face into that because that's the reality. I've experienced that, you know, myself in, in businesses that I've been in, the difficulty of getting change to happen. And many of your regular listeners here will be nodding along, I think, and thinking, yeah, that's, the, that's actually the hard bit in a sense. The first half of reinventing retail, you know, in, in some senses, is a it's a mind exercise, an intellectual exercise, and 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 you know, you, you can say, yeah, I, li- I like the things you're saying there, but you know, how is it that massive retail businesses manage to, who probably all know that, probably all intuitively have some sense of the things that they need to do, end up in a situation where it doesn't it doesn't quite work out for them? And I think there are, you know, there are very formidable barriers to change for retailers. And what's interesting when I came to kind of write part two of the book is that most of them are psychological. Mm. So, you know, you are, if you're leading, if you're the management team of a retail business and you've identified that you need to reinvent your business for the new normal, you face a number of kind of forces of inertia uh, around you that would need to be overcome in order to get change to happen. At one point in the book, I talk about the wheel of stakeholders. You can almost draw them out in a circle around you, the, the, the kind of various forces. That, so you've got your shareholders or your investors who own your business, and they've just spent decades funding the expansion of your store estate. They probably don't really want to hear a message that says some of those stores are not fit for purpose anymore. You know, that's a really tricky thing to go back to your investment community with. You've got your mm. suppliers who, you know, are used to doing business with you in a particular way, providing product in a particular way. And you may want to do that differently. We talked a lot in the first part of the book in the rules of the new normal about, for example, how retailers can break away from price competition by using customization or personalization or creating different versions of product for customers that have some sort of uniqueness to them. That of course faces into their relationship with their suppliers and means there's change required there, but they not may not be kind of geared up to, to do that. You've got all sorts of communities around your business that are kind of in some senses impacted by or affected by change who may, or, who may see that as scary or risky or unexplored. And one of the most important of those constituencies and one that we talk quite a lot about in the second half of Reinventing Retail is your own leadership team. If the community of people in 
your retail business. And I absolutely count myself in this, you know, when I think back to the businesses that I was in. You've grown up and become senior because of your ability to do certain things. Uh, you buy product in a particular way or you market in a particular way or you run stores in a particular way and you're really good at doing it and you've become senior and respected and you know a, a player in your business because of your ability to do those things. To the extent that the new normal changes the things that success looks like, you know, then, that, then your world is changing around you. A, a successful store is now measured in a different way. It, it's not about like-for-like like growth. It's about customer recruitment, for example, or about the, you know, the, the kind of net promoter score and the way you um, delight customers. That's a different kind of retail operations discipline. You know, buying might now be about your ability to respond to and use granular data rather than just about your mm. instincts about what will sell. Many communities in your business, if you're the finance team in a retailer, suddenly, you know, because the KPIs are all changing, you're having to answer questions in a different way. It's no longer relevant to think about the profitability of your store estate versus your website if you're in an omnichannel world because your customers are using both simultaneously. So, you know, the way you do that, the way you produce the, the, the weekly report or the daily report for your retail business is different. So the finance team are challenged. Everybody's challenged by change. And I think it's inevitable. For all of us, it's, this is not a them and us thing. It's inevitable for all of us that when we're faced with change in that way, there's a bit of us that wishes it would just go away. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so what you end up with is a degree of, I say resistance to change, but that makes it sound more active than it is, but a degree of angst in the business that acts as a barrier to doing things differently. I said in last week's episode when we were talking about the first half of the book that actually when I engage with friends running retail businesses and we talk about what they're doing, I find that we end up talking about culture and values and people more than we end up talking about technology. And that is never more true than in the second part of the book where we're talking about how to create change, which is that of all the things that you need to do to reinvent a retail business, putting in a different IT system is probably you know, is, is some way down the list of importance and it's some way down the list, frankly, of difficulty. I mean, it's a very difficult project to do, as you know well, but it's tiny in its difficulty by comparison with changing the hearts and minds, not only of your own people, but of all those other constituencies of people around your business in order to get momentum and get change to happen. And that's really what, that's really what the the, you know, the, the second half of uh, reinventing retail is trying to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's all about bringing those people on the journey with you. And it is tough to be able to, to change that. And it's a really interesting point that you go into there about looking at what has made the leadership team successful in the past and how they have got to those board positions, those senior positions versus what's being asked of the business right now. What sort of tips have you got for for those people to help adapt and change and evolve with the retail market? Yeah, I mean, really good question. And I think, you know, I think you have to start with yourself. So the retail leadership team, the CEO, the, le the senior leadership team running a retail business that's faced with the need to reinvent itself, need to, need to understand that passive resistance is not something that they're just going to look out and observe from other people. It's something they're probably going to exhibit themselves as well. And so actually, you've got to start by facing into your own skills and experiences as a team. You know, I make a number of recommendations in the book, which sound, when I say them out loud, sound almost banal. Um, but, but actually, you know, leadership teams should attend to their own skills and personal development. How much do you know about this new world of digital and omnichannel retailing? You know, do, do you actually know what a website is? 
when you when you look under the skin of it you know do you know what the technology that you're looking at is and it, it it's not difficult so going in behind the scenes rather than just loading it up in yeah 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 Chrome or on your phone or whatever it, it, yeah. it, it, it's 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 amazing how over a couple of decades new technologies and new approaches emerge and if you did all your learning and your personal development in your 20s and you're now in your 50s quite a lot of stuff has emerged over that period of time that you might be a little bit uncomfortable with and actually it's it's not difficult i don't think to become more comfortable with it so i i've i've talked to leadership teams for example about go and spend a couple of days with one of those digital training outfits and just learn to build a simple website and that that's not going to make you a coder it's not going to you know allow you to kind of dive into your own it department and build your own e-commerce platform but what it is going to do is it's going to increase the it's going to increase the level of the conversation that you have when it does come to talking about technology so you don't have the wool pulled over your eyes and you you have a bit of an understanding around are you asking for a massive change yeah or are you asking for for a tiny a very simple change i think you've got a, a story in the book right well there's a there's a there's an example in the book which which is yeah from a business that i'd better not name but where we wanted to make what anybody who knows anything about HTML would know was a single line change to a website. And uh, uh, it was actually, uh, it was adding a location marker onto a, a website so that the page would open at a particular point in the page. And, uh, mm. but by the time, you know, business analysts had written their requirements document and the requirements document had gone to IT and been put through the mill there. And, you know, it took several weeks for this process to go through. And then it came back and said, yeah, that's going to take six months to make that change. And you just think, well, <laughs> I'm not sure it does take six months to make that change. And, 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 you know, I've had other examples as well where, you know, we've, we've put what on the face of it is a relatively simple technology requirement together. And actually, by the time it's come through the other end, it ends up looking much bigger and scarier than, than it really should do. And, and equivalently, I mean, I use another story I use in the book is, is, um, which comes back to this point about management teams investing in, you know, themselves is, you know, I tell the story of, you know, I have sat around the board table watching a retail board review the request for capital to open a new store and it's electric everybody leans forward they're oh you want a new store in woking okay which street you know where who's the landlord what are the terms when's the break clause oh I, aren't they just building a new shopping center just outside that town what's that going to do to the footfall what is the footfall what data have you got it's a it's an it's a passionate engaged conversation because the community of people around the table have been doing that for 20 or 30 years they know exactly what they're doing and they're really comfortable with it the next item on the agenda is £10 million worth of capital for a new web system. And suddenly everybody sits back and looks a bit sheepish because, <laughs> you know, nobody really knows what they're, you know, what that means. It sounds important. Surely we want some digital stuff, right? So that, that's probably important. Then they all turn and look at the CTO of the business. But sometimes it turns out that the CTO of the business has grown up in that business, putting in point of sale systems and warehousing systems they might not themselves be particularly comfortable with digital uh, e-commerce platforms and digital technology either and so they're nodding because they've got people sitting behind them saying yeah this is a really important thing that we need to do and then you trace through and you say well where if i trace this this particular agenda point through where's the first person that's really expert in the stuff we're talking about and it turns out to be the vendor and that's a really bad place for a retailer to be when the, when the kind of first level of expertise on the thing you're being asked to spend millions of pounds in is a, is a consultant or a vendor because, you know, they haven't necessarily got the same interest that you've got. So, you know, I, I think this, this, there's a really important bit of reinvention for 
senior retail leaders to do. I, I, one terrific retailer that I worked with, I used the example in the book, they, they wanted to know more about social media and about how younger generations are using social media to talk to each other and to form opinions about brands and products. And so they all went out and got themselves mentors who were teenagers. Yeah. So they'd, they'd find somebody from a store or somebody from the warehouse who was, you know, a Snapchat addict and, you know, kind of lived their life in social media would become the retail operations director's kind of social media mentor and just spend a little bit of time with them telling them what was going on. And that was an incredibly powerful way to bring a bit of experience and a bit of voice around the, the, the senior management table that might not otherwise have been there. So for me, that step one for a management team is, you know, attend to yourselves. Think about what your own sort of skills and experiences are. I think step two is about making sure that you're measuring the right things in the business. There's an old adage that you get the change that you measure. Uh, and I think that's very true. And so if what you measure is store by store, year over year, like for like revenue growth, then that's what people will focus on. And actually, if what you wanted them to focus on was building customer lifetime value or treating your most valuable customers really, really well, or uh, making sure that they fulfilled click and collect and e-commerce orders brilliantly and, and made customers smile and be happy and want to come back again, those, none of those activities is necessarily reflected in year over year, same store, like for like revenue growth. And so you're, you're not... And that then breeds the entire culture through, you know, driving promotions. And then you get into sort of, oh my goodness, we need to we need to step up the numbers. So let's put on a discount. And then you're into the discounting yeah. drug spiral. <laughs> well, you absolutely are. And 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 you're 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 also into a you know, the danger is if you if you if you view the world through the wrong KPIs, then you're viewing the wrong world. Because you know, I've seen oh, I like that. You, <laughs> you, you, you can have that one. Uh, you, you'll still hear um some people in retail, for example, say, I don't know why you're asking me to invest in growing the e-commerce platform because that's less profitable than my stores. And that is so profoundly the wrong way of looking at the world. I just, I shudder every time I hear some version of that sentence because mm. what you've revealed by saying that as a retailer is that you think that your stores and your website are different to each other. Yeah, the, the idea that there is a thing called store profitability and a thing called e-commerce profitability is just profoundly wrong. All, all there is is the profitability of different customers, and all of those customers are using both of your channels. And I got into an argument with somebody in the supermarket business once about this. Why would we get into e-commerce? There's no money in it. And I said, well, why have you got car parks in your superstores? Because there's no money in them either. Yeah, it's <laughs> an interesting point. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the profit and loss of a standalone car park that you don't charge people for doesn't look very healthy. But of course, that's a stupid thing to say because the reason you've got car parks is because you want people to come to the shop. Well, start thinking about your e-commerce platform in the same way. So, so, <laughs> as, long so as, as long as the answer wasn't good idea, Ian, we should start charging for car park. <laughs> for car park. Well, you know, the strange, stranger, stranger things have happened. But um, you know that that sort of so, so you know if step one was you know look at the skills around the table and make sure you're comfortable and experienced with some of the things that you're talking about. Step two then is be really attentive to what you measure. I talk a lot in the book about net promoter score. I'm a very passionate advocate of having a customer centric measure front and center in terms of the way you keep, you hold your business to mm -hmm. account, whether that's net promoter score or, or some other measure, but something that, that gets people talking about the customer experience that you're delivering, you know, I think is, 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 is really important alongside some of those measures of kind of customer profitability that you know having good customer data allows you to have so so change what you measure because of course 
people will tend to do the things that get them a good score on on what the business is measuring. So that's an important second step. And then I think the the third step is really where the psychology comes into play, because the third step is about, for this is for a retail leadership team who are looking to change their business. It's about empowering your organization to take risks and to do things different. Okay. If you've got a layer of you know, middle uh, management, head office management in your business who are feeling a bit challenged and a bit scared of change in the way that we described earlier, you're not going to shout them into doing something different. What you're going to do is you're going to empower them into doing something different. And that's about saying, actually, so we're measuring different things now. We're all about customer engagement. We're all about customer lifetime value. We're all about, you know, uh, omni-channel and kind of three-channel retailing. And, you know, we're doing things in a different way. I understand that that means that you guys in finance or you guys in supply chain or you guys in IT or you folks in retail ops are going to have to do things differently as well. I wonder what that looks like. Let's try some stuff. Let's have some fun. Let's 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 take some chances and let's celebrate the things that work, but also celebrate the things um, that don't work, but end up being a piece of knowledge for the business that, okay, so we, we tried that and that turned out not to be a very good idea, but great. We've got a bit of learning now that we didn't have before. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about the, the fear of failure a lot, um, and you certainly see it happening a lot, where people are just nervous to, to try something new in case they get slapped over the head, so to speak. Well, and the reason, the, the reason for that is because if we're honest, there are many retail businesses where for many years, that's exactly what would have happened. Uh, and yeah, and, so, and still today, there are, right? And so you've, cre- you've created, you know, if, 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 you, if that's the culture you have, or if indeed there's a danger that people fear that that's the culture that you have, then you have to do something quite ostentatious to overcome it. And, and sometimes it can be incredibly subtle. I worked in one business where we were trying to do new things and different things. And we were getting a little bit of that kind of folded arm while we tried that once it didn't work, you know, a little bit of that resistance. And in the end, quite by accident, I stumbled on the phrase test and learn. I said, you know, that life is about new, modern life is about test and learn. It's about doing experiments. And for some reason that I I still don't understand because I'm not a occupational psychologist, that that phrase ended up being very resonant for that business. It's not new. But it, it ended up being a, an iconic phrase in that business. So people started to come back to meetings and go, well, we tried this promotional thing because of, you know, it's a bit of test and learn. And it was like it gave them, it was a bit like they were saying, you know, I've tried that, but it's not my fault that it didn't work because it was a test and learn thing. Yeah, I've, I've been given permission. Yeah, it, exactly. It externalized the, the, the risk and it, it meant that, yes, the organization felt that it had been given permission to try some stuff. And suddenly that blossomed and because we responded well, I think, positively to that it blossomed and it became a thing in its own right. And suddenly an organization that had spent several decades in a very command and control environment started to, you know, take some risks and do some new things. And it was an amazing thing to see. And I think that that, that is, you know, when CEOs and chair people meet and talk about retail transformation at that level, they almost invariably end up talking about, you know, how, how do I get past resistance? How do I unlock you know, change uh, and and kind of you know energetic change in a business mm. that might not that might not have exhibited that before, and and I think that so so there are some suggestions in the book, but actually I'm sure your listeners here will have their own views on how to to do that. But I think that becomes a really important part of of the whole journey, and then really the the sort of final bit. So you've attended to yourself as a management team, you've changed what you measure, you've empowered your 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 teams across the business to try new things and to 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 you know to really get behind a strategic change program 
is you then need to think about those other stakeholders. And so your shareholders and your lenders and your suppliers and your customers and the communities that your stores are part of are all stakeholders, parts of your business. And, and, and you know, you need to, at some level, as much as you can, enthuse them about the journey that the business is on. And you need to try and create some positive momentum in those relationships. And that's all about celebrating success. And it's about, you know, showcasing early, early, early wins. And, uh, you know, you'll see this happening. I, I can think of retail businesses right now that are engaged in turnaround processes where I can see them beginning. They're starting to get some traction and they're beginning to go, for example, to the stock market or to their private equity owners and say, actually, we've just got, you know, we've launched a new, we've got, we've now got a little bit of subscription revenue in our business and it's starting to get some real traction or we've, uh, you know, we've started measuring customer experience and it's gone up by 20 points and that's making a difference to our profitability or we've, um, you know, we've started to kind of integrate our e-commerce and our retail business in a different way. And look, it started to drive some incremental revenue. And sometimes the things they're talking about are individually quite small. You know, that, that it hasn't changed the world yet. It hasn't changed the overall profitability of the business yet. But it's an icon of change. You know, it's an indication that, you know, you might be going in the right direction. And yeah. all your stakeholders want that, you know, because none of them are anything other than you know, a bunch of human beings, whether they're your shareholders or the people in the bank that lend you money or, um, you know, the other kind of constituencies that are looking at your business, they're all human. And as humans, we're all scared of change, but we're all excited about it as well. And, and so if you can lay out the journey that you're on, lay out the path that you're on, you know, as clearly as possible, but then, you know, try and create that, try and create some early wins, try and create some momentum, then, you know, that's a really powerful, that's a really powerful kind of way to really take your change program and, and put it up a gear. I'm in total agreement with you there. I, I like to call it signaling. It's, you know, it's a sign that you're on the path and the strategy is right and you're making progress. So it's a way of reinforcing the overall program and, and getting more supporters, I suppose, you know, across those different stakeholder groups to say, right, let's continue on, let's drive forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've a couple of times in different businesses, I've taken teams through the exercise of saying, okay, we're about to embark on whatever it is, this change program or this this process of reinvention. Let's sit here right now and write the next year's worth of press releases. That could be so powerful. Because in doing that, we're going to say, so we, okay, so a couple of months in, we're going to want something. We're going to want something that we can say is an indication that we're going in the right direction. What might that look like? And and you and then you know, in in a sense, you end up working backwards to saying, okay, well, we need to engineer the program to make sure that those headlines actually happen, that they're actually true. But in doing that, what you do is you, 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 you bring people back to the idea that what we can't do is tell everybody that we're embarked in a three-year reinvention program and that we'll come back to them in three years' time and tell them how it went. Mm. Um, because in the meantime, they're going to see some of the cost. They're going to see the investment. They're going to see maybe store closures. They're going to see changes to the kind of customer model. And they're going to want to know that, that they're backing you to do the right thing. And, and so actually, you know, being attentive very early on to what is the stream of messaging that's going to come out? What is the, you know, what are the signs that you're going to give people that will give them hope and confidence that you're going in the right direction? And by the way, those signals and those press releases or those headlines are just as important internally as they are externally. Because they end that ends up looping back to how do you empower your own people to be enthusiastic about change? Because the greatest adrenaline rush that you can get in a business that's going through a reinvention program is when a positive story happens. You know, we actually we, we've turned from 
negative growth to positive growth or we've overtaken a competitor or we've acquired loads of new customers or we've launched a new service or a new thing that customers can buy from us and it seems like it's getting early traction that's incredibly exciting to be part of and and so the same messages in a way that you you can use you know with your suit and tie on in front of the city uh, to try and get your shareholders enthusiastic are also equally important messages to be to be shouting about internally as well and so the second part of reinventing retail comes together, I, I guess, in the sense that, you know, it's all about change management. It's all about stakeholder management. Some of those stakeholders happen to be internal. Some of them happen to be external. Mm-hmm. Some of them happen to be you and your management team around the table and, and, and being attentive to your, your own process. But one way or another, there ends up being there ends up being a single kind of change program that's trying to bring all of those constituencies together and forward. It's really fascinating, and it's, it's a fantastic read, um, as, I, as I do mention. But Ian, I have to ask you: you're, you're in a really quite a unique position, having, you know, having held these very senior roles, you know, CEO at Odeon, CEO of the Game Group, but you've also worked on the other side of the table as, as a consultant, working with those roles, but externally. And having, I suppose, had the time to dwell on it, having had the time to think about all this amazing content in Reinventing Retail, the book, if you were in that CEO role of of a business that's challenged or a COO role of a business that's challenged, irrelevant of what category, I suppose, what would be the things you'd be thinking about most and first? Gosh, well, look, there are many many of the things that, that we've talked about here. I mean, I, I'm in a, as you say, a sort of fortunate position, and I talk to a lot of retail CEOs during the kind of the course of my kind of working life. And mostly, if I was drawing a very with a very very broad brush, most of them have a strategy. Yeah, most of them kind of know they they've internalised a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in part one of reinventing retail, and they're aware of the need to reinvent the business. And and they've got some. I mean, I'd like to think that there's some content in. The first part of the book that's 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 new and interesting and that people might get something from but very few of them are sitting there with absolutely no idea of you know the change that their business is going to require over the next couple of years in order to survive mm. but on the other hand most of them are saying making that happen is just incredibly hard and, and that's the reason why you know it was very important to me to write the second part of the book to write the the kind of change part of the book from the perspective of somebody who you, know, you, you described me earlier on as wearing the t-shirt but I also have the scars you know I've also I've, I've also failed to do many of these things myself mm. uh, at various points in time and so um, you know I have a very kind of personal and very real sense of how difficult it is to take a business you know with you know hundreds or thousands of stores and you know lots and lots of kind of colleagues and, and a very interconnected network of suppliers and investors and shareholders and actually change its direction that's a really difficult thing to do and so and so you know that's the that's the area which i think most people um are occupying themselves with and and i think the the great thing i mean retail's fabulous i mean I, we, we, it, there's a danger because we're talking about reinvention it's it, it all sounds terribly depressing but you know retailing is a fabulous sector and you know there's no greater thrill than you know talking to customers and selling them something and um you know that that the things we do all day are things that you know are are are, are great things to do, and I think that you know as as senior retail leaders, we have an enormous responsibility to make sure that that continues to work. And uh, you know, it's not we're not trying to reinvent retail because you know somehow it's in our self interest or somehow it's um, 
you know, for the sake of it, almost <laughs> for, for, for sort of re- religious reasons, we're trying to do it because it's important. You know, yeah. it's important. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's the employer of three million people in our country. It's the occupier of three hundred thousand buildings in our country. It's the, you know, preferred place to buy things for eighty percent of the people in our country, and so eighty percent of the transactions in our in our country. And so it's important that we get it right, and it's important that we don't roll over and allow the emergence of pure play e-commerce competitors to make it too difficult to mm. retail. Uh, and and so you know, I, I I I sense whether I'm talking to folks who work in store at the front line, talking to customers every day, or whether I'm talking to retail CEOs, an enormous willingness for this to work, an enormous passion for the reinvention of retail to happen uh, and for you know every retailer to be as kind of successful and exciting and interesting as the most successful and exciting and interesting retailers that we see today already are everybody wants that to happen and, and so i think that you know in some sense as, as i said in i think in last week's episode the mission of this book really is to try to offer what small contribution i can from my experience to you know help that change to happen that's fantastic. And there's so many big messages just in what you said. For me, retail is such an important industry. It's not just the the people that work in it directly. It's all their families. It's the suppliers and their families. There are so many people that feed into it. And of course, we are all consumers, whether it's physical retail, whether it's online retail, a bit of both, most probably. You know, we, we all play part in it and we all have an opinion on it. And that's why I think retail is such a great industry and you mentioned the word passion there and there are so many fantastic people out in the whole industry that are so passionate and skilled and they just love what they do and uh, it just it just energizes me beyond belief and that's why absolutely I'm 100% there with you it is important to reinvent retail it is important to transform retail not for the sake of it but for the ongoing benefit that the, that the entire industry serves the world frankly couldn't agree more couldn't agree more Ian this has been such a fantastic chat I've really enjoyed it congratulations once again on the book reinventing retail it's available in all good bookstores and uh you know big big congratulations well done uh, thank you so much and thanks for the opportunity to be part of this conversation it's been uh, it's been it's been really energizing Oh, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all the wisdom and dropping all those golden nuggets as well to, to the audience. It's total, total value, I'm sure. Uh, no, look, you're, you're, you're very welcome. Wasn't that a fab conversation? Ian dropped so many golden nuggets and I hope that you really took something from this conversation. Why not reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter? I'd love to actually hear... What was your biggest takeaway? What was the biggest golden nugget that Ian dropped over the last couple of episodes in episode 45 and this one in episode 46? Tag me in on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Ollie underscore Banks on Twitter or Oliver Banks on LinkedIn. And hey, I'm sure Ian would love to hear from you too. So you can always tag him in as well at Ian A. Shepherd on Twitter and Ian Shepherd, of course, on LinkedIn. So if you're interested in retail transformation, and I'm guessing if you're listening to this right now that you are, and you want to make sure that you are staying up to date with the latest trends, with the latest news, and getting the latest insights, then you must sign up for my weekly retail transformation briefings. 
you'll get the headlines from the world of retail transformation, including the latest trends and the hottest innovations. You'll get expert opinion from curated content from world-class experts. You'll get access to interesting and intriguing conversations on social media that you can just jump straight on in and have a say. And I will be sharing my views on what's going on in the world of retail transformation. You can sign up for these free weekly retail transformation briefings over at obandco.uk slash briefing. That's obandco.uk slash briefing. Or if you can't remember, message me on LinkedIn or on Twitter and I will make sure that we sort that out for you. But right now, I hope you have really enjoyed these episodes with Ian and myself. Like I say, do reach out. I'd love to hear what you took away from it. What was the biggest golden nugget for you? Have a fantastic week and I will look forward to joining you on the next episode of the Retail Transformation Show. Bye. Bye.